You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of interstate battery retail stores all over the United States. So whether you need a a new truck battery, which by the way, I've heard that they are some of the best in the automotive industry, right? A truck battery, a car battery. If you need batteries for something as simple as a remote control or a unique battery for a range finder or one of your children's toys, uh, Interstate Batteries not only has those batteries available, if they don't have them, they can order them for you, or if you need to find out more about a specific battery battery or the specs of a specific battery, stop into their retail store and talk with a battery specialist. These guys are very knowledgeable about what products they offer and what it is that you need for whatever battery you're looking for. So, Stop in to a local retail store or visit interstatebatteries.com to learn more about their company, the batteries that they offer, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So check out interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Before we get this podcast started, we have a an special, announcement to special, make for special. you guys. We have a giveaway Woo. from now, yep. August 25th when this podcast drops, to September 14th, 2020. Be... Uh, and to enter for your chance at prizes coming after we say how to enter, go to our YouTube channel, Land and Legacy, and subscribe. If yep. you have subscribed, go ahead and comment and like some of our current videos, and you will be entered in. And those to drop between this 25th and the 14th time frame. Yes. That's how you, that's how you enter. We're, we're trying. We've had a fantastic response. Uh, people listening to podcasts, interacting on social media, but I don't think that people are yet prepared what's going to be coming. We're dragging you over to YouTube now yeah. to watch the videos. Because there's going to be a lot of cool stuff happening this fall. But when you do that, when you when you are entering yourself in to win, you're setting yourself up for Vortex price package, which yep. includes some, some binos. And then, of course, some Land and Legacy apparel. Is always going to be thrown into the mix too. So we've we've got some other um, gift items that that might be thrown in um, in this time frame. 
We're kind of waiting on, waiting to hear back. But um, there's some pretty cool prizes that are that are potentials for you guys to win if you're chosen. So please go subscribe. Tell your buddy to subscribe. We got a lot of hunts coming this fall. Um, a lot yes. of really nice deer. We're going to be running. We got a lot of cameras, so we're going to be running trying to make it all happen. So please go subscribe to our YouTube channel and enjoy one of this week's podcast with Mr. Kyle Hedges. All right, guys, welcome back, Land Lakes Podcast. Um, we're going to jump into something that's really getting full swing, even, and we're not even talking about deer. No. We're talking no. about something um, that, especially those guys in the south and southeast and then parts of the Midwest really get into, um, and that's dove hunting. Absolutely. It's just around the corner. I mean, we're, we're, we're days away from many of the opening, um, and I think that it's 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 funny because a lot of times you're like, oh, there's there's doves everywhere, but a lot of times people just don't even recognize the the intricacies of the bird, the migratory patterns, yep. and the fact that they migrate a ton, a lot, and there's yep. a lot of things that you can do, whether it's field prep to increase your chances at hunting them and your opportunities. So we've got the man, the myth, the legend on. I thought you always said that with Frank. Well, they're both, they're both, you know, pretty good. Okay. <laughs> just Kyle, don't, tell, just Kyle, don't tell Frank. Kyle Hedges is back. Yeah. And I'm just better looking than Frank. <laughs> you hide it. Uh, we don't know that. You hide your face under that mustache. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man so we got kyle back on uh for for you guys if you're not aware kyle's one of our consultants um uh, with a, a long background in upland birds uh, managing thousands of acres um a big part of that is managing for dove hunting and dove management and if you want to go back to a podcast we did about the same time last year um it's focused on food plotting for doves and we'll touch on that a little bit, but this is a different kind of approach. It's a good compare contrast, and should be important if you're if you're really trying to maximize your property because a lot of the stuff he's going to talk about will try to tie in with uh, the benefits of of that to other wildlife. Um, and so, Kyle, do you want to introduce what is going on in the world of doves right now? Yeah, I mean, so on the public land, and as we talked last year, you know, where we plant, we, we do some really intense management, um, you know, fairly expensive. You get into, you know, $100 plus an acre intensive management. but And we're doing that right now on the public land and building some really nice dove numbers. And, and opening day, we'll have, you know, a few thousand doves coming into 50, 100-acre area and mm. we'll have a few hundred people too okay. i mean it's crowded and yeah but it's a it's great i mean there's really good harvest and that's what we talked about last year on the on the podcast but i wanted to touch on you know there's quite a few alternatives to that you know some people don't want to invest that time and money and and i get it especially when they might be in a deer stand you know by September 15th, so, and their dove season isn't going to be, they're not looking to do- hunt doves off and on for two months or or something like a serious wing shooter might, but um, there's a lot of opportunities beyond those hardcore managed fields. Um, some natives that, like you mentioned, and at the onset of this, we'll, we can go into some of that here in a minute, and, and some other ideas um as well where you can find some doves and then some enhancements to some of these 
types of things I think we need to touch on. For sure. I think it all goes hand in hand. Um, just like in the whitetail world, for a lot of our viewer or our listeners and viewers, and we'll talk more on viewers and, and the YouTube channel, because there was a reminder. That's right. There's a giveaway coming. That's right. Um, but if we're managing for whitetails, we have our food plots, but then it's so important to manage outside of those food plot acres, and that's what you're going to steer us to here during this podcast. I think, I think too, Kyle, you, you hit a really good point of just in the introduction aspect of there's so many dove hunters out there who are the opening day guys, and then and then they put the shotgun away, and they, their mind shifts, and they start um, getting into deer hunting. And so this podcast would be great for them to say, hey, how can I still have a successful you know, opening day, opening weekend, scratch out you know, a limit uh, of doves for those two days, and then set it up with not that much investment in? Because that's the reality of many dove hunters across the country. Yep, that's right. And uh, we can just, you know, step right into it here. One of the things that, that brought this to my thoughts, I guess, here recently is the fact that here in the Midwest, we're, we're kind of in a drought, uh, not a full-blown drought, I guess, according to meteorologists, but it's pretty dang dry, as mm-hmm. you guys can attest to. So anyway, um, that makes for some low ponds. Years like this, when you get some dry weather, uh, and and this happens a lot in August anyway, just a normal summer where pond pasture ponds will be, have some bare ground, especially if they've been grazed, they've got a little bit of mud flat or some bare dirt, um, between the vegetation, you know, on the, up on the bank and, and the water's edge because the water's drawn down a foot or two over the dry summer. Well, those are perfect places to shoot some doves. Um, after they feed, especially evenings, those are typically the best evening shoots. And I've killed limits over these situations. I've had times where, you know, it's a nice relaxing hunt and you're not going to kill limits. But if it's a little pond, uh, you know, you may have 40 doves come there and all 40 are in gun range. Sure. Um, so you can have some really nice opportunity on a pretty small little pasture pond sometimes. So typically they'll go feed and then right after they feed, they'll come get a drink before they go back to the roost. So you'll get this crazy flurry sometimes. Uh, there'll be some birds trickling in and out, you know, an hour, hour and a half before dark. And then this last 30 minutes, it's just this flurry of doves coming in to get that drink before they head back to roost. So there's some opportunities to look there. You know, folks can cruise around, whether it's on your own place, checking some ponds or, or even, you know, looking at, down the road just at some open pasture ponds so maybe you're not even really banging around and, and dove hunting where you might be sitting you know a few hundred yards away in a deer stand two weeks from now so maybe you won't even feel like you're uh, if you're worried about you know disturbing where you might be deer hunting you said and, one thing and, sorry i don't want to interrupt no, now, but you said one thing about the aspect of bear dirt and i think that um, in the world of food plotting and everything and, and the, the going drawing to soil health, everyone's so worried about bare dirt and covering, armoring the soil and everything. But real quick, break down for everyone listening, why bare dirt for doves and other upland game birds is important? Why is that feature necessary? And why should they be looking for that 
when hunting doves? Yeah, so specifically for doves, it's a, a little different reason. They they have real weak, dainty legs. They don't scratch around like a pheasant or a turkey or a quail for food. They don't dig through the duff to find seeds. So they're sight feeding. They need seeds just laying on the, on the bare ground. Um, you know, for quail, we want that bare ground just so the chicks aren't getting wet with dew and they can move around for mobility. But for doves, it's it's more for sight feeding. Now, at the edge of a pond, it's absolutely for for mobility. They don't want to wade through grass. They're just not going to do that. That's not how doves work around. They don't run around on the ground like a quail or a pheasant either, you know. Mm-hmm. They fly in light. They want to get a drink. They're not going to land in shin-deep vegetation. This is not what they do. So that's why this that low water is, is perfect. And then lots of times... There is some, there may be some weeds around the pond, especially a grazed pond is even better. The cattle will beat up the edge a little bit. Sometimes there'll be some ragweed. So there may be a little bit of food there and an opportunity to get a drink after they feed. Um, You know, there's some real enhancements too that people don't think about. Some real simple things. Let's say you got a, whether you got a pond, um, It's maybe got a few trees around it. We, we want fairly open ponds. You don't, you're not typically going to be dove hunting a pond, you know, that's in the timber or something. But an open pasture pond, um, if you, or if it's too big of a pond maybe to cover, and, and you're like, man, I can't get them zeroed in, you know, half of them are landing on the other side. And if you put a buddy over there, but if you don't have that, you're hunting solo. Man, I've gone to ponds that have, two or three trees around them and basil treat one of them. Mm-hmm. So doves love to land in dead trees. And we've talked about this before, you know, people use all kinds of crazy put up old telephone poles or whatever and make some artificial perches out West. So basil treat a tree at the edge of a pond and the next year you've got dead limbs and every dove that comes to that pond wants to first Either fly down to, to get a drink and then fly up to the loaf for a minute or vice versa. So you've just narrowed it down to exactly where you want to sit. And if you've got the luxury of some low limbs, you can hang some decoys up there and um, things like that. Uh, brush pile at the edge of a pond. Anything that's got dead sticks that they can loaf on can really zero your search area, you know, and, and they can just suck right into you. So When I think of a per- dove... Uh, like in the legs, I picture like a kindergartner drawing a drawing a bird, and it's a <laughs> yeah. big old circle, and then With they like draw little sticks. bitty sticks yeah. out the bottom. That's a, that's a dove. Like they they, they yep. don't match up. You know yep, you know why wimpy pink legs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know why uh, I I figured it out Kyle. I think that you you go in and basil the trees. So when you take Frank in to hunt the birds actually perch on the limb so he can shoot a, a bird that's sitting and actually keep up with you when you're shooting him on the wing. Is that right? <laughs> there you go. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you got to throw him a softball once in a while. <laughs> but that, I mean, it's, it's so true. When you see doves, you see them landing, lighting on open limbs. It, it's not in dense canopies. It's on the dead branches. It's in areas where they can get in and out of fly very easily. Um, they're agile birds, but Man, it, you make it so easy for them, they're not going to light anywhere else. Yeah, and you know, that's a simple thing. I don't know how many people I've talked to 
that have never thought of that. You know, I've talked about, yeah, I hunt this pond, but oh, it's it's a half acre in size, you know, and I get some shots, but a lot of them land on the. Well, you kill the one tree right there. You don't need a, unless you just want to sit under it to have lunch while you're catfishing. Kill one of those trees and you can get almost every dove to come right there. Or, you know, break out a mojo dove. Um, there's other alternatives. If you don't want to kill a tree around a pond, break out a mojo, motion wing decoy, and, and put it at the edge of the pond. Um, so there's some opportunities there to really change the game. And it's simple and cheap. Oh, it's so simple. Uh, and you can really have a fun shoot. That is if they have a tree that's not very valuable growing at the yeah. edge of the pond. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you know this, but most trees out there are valuable, it seems like, right? Yeah, yeah I'm right. saying that yeah. very sarcastically yeah. because yeah. we have so many trees in this country that I'm sure we could find one that's bringing no value to the place. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. I, I've killed a lot of them. You're describing, <laughs> <laughs> you're describing my teenage years dove hunting. Um, yeah. Yep. We didn't hunt the 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 management the, the managed areas that you manage now, where it's sunflowers or burned wheat fields and things like that. We hunted overgrazed pastures that had lots and lots of ragweed growing, and then we hunted between two ponds that also had a telephone wire that ran north to south and basically started just by the one pond and then ran right by the other one. So, on certain years when we had a good ragweed crop we would set down, set by those ponds in the afternoon, sneezing and shooting doves. Yep, perfect. And you, you just open the door to the next subject, and that is that overgrazed, the ragweedy field. And it doesn't even have to be overgrazed. It could be for whatever reason. You know, somebody, maybe an idle crop field somewhere that's ragweedy or some other species comes up but uh man there's a great opportunity there you know they feed on a lot of different seeds obviously they're not just living on on wheat and sunflowers um they're living on a lot of native stuff Mm -hmm. yeah and and dry years like this we get a lot of ragweed showing up in in pastures because most pastures are kind of overgrazed we've had a dry summer hot dry summer so um they'll come and feed in those fields and and if Sometimes you can get it where it's, you know, predictable. They're flying in just to feed on ragweed, for example, and that's great. You can sit there and pass shoot them. But, man, I tell you, one thing I really enjoy is when I get pastures like that and the ragweed is, is dense enough that I can walk the doves up, actually flush them, um, and just move around instead of sitting and pass shooting I, that's they're a lot easier to hit, for one. So, <laughs> uh, but... And that's really enjoyable too. You know, you can get out there and you feel like you're, I guess, a, um, a precursor for, for quail or pheasant hunting and you're on the move and, and you're flushing doves up out of the ragweed. I've had some really fun hunts doing that. So I think, I think that's there's a, 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 a good, native opportunity. Yeah. A good point because so many people just sit on the edge of the, uh, on the edge of the timber in the shade and just wait and wait and wait and wait. Well, there's, there's other ways to go about this. Now, if you got big numbers, of people in your surrounding fields, yeah, it's not safe to do that. But if you're by yourself or in a controlled group, I mean, get the birds up, get them moving, because they're feeding. And uh, yeah, that that's a that's a great point. Most people, I, I don't think, look at that as a technique to be able to kill and fill a bag limit. 
That's right. Most people don't ever even consider walking up doves. You know, it's only past shooting. And yeah, just depends on your situation. Obviously, we got to do everything safe. It depends on who you got with you. And, but typically, if I'm doing the walking up doves, it's just me or, or me and one other person, you know, so pretty, pretty controlled environment. And, so when uh, you're that, talking about overgrazed pasture, that also kind of spurred up a thought for me for guys that don't have cattle. And that fits right in with old field management. Um, for those whitetail guys that are trying to increase the native vegetation, decrease the amount of thick grass thatch. And so if you have uh, an area of your farm that you're just like, I'm just trying to make an old field for the deer. I don't really hunt here. I'm just trying to increase summer forage and fawning cover um, or good good cover for the fawns and good uh, vegetation forage for the doe that's lactating. Um, I'm going to increase these acres of old field management. And that goes right in with if you create some kind of rotation in and around these ponds or power lines or dead trees, you can increase the amount of vegetation uh, or these early successional plants like common ragweed, I guess like giant ragweed depending on the situation, um, or western ragweed if you're out a little further west in here. And uh, that just is basically some rotational dormant season disking, trying to stimulate those and, and increase the germination of those forbs uh, and then decreasing the amount of grassy thatch with yep. prescribed fire. Mm-hmm. And if you do that on a rotation, that kind of fits in exactly the way we want to manage our old fields anyway. Yep, that's right. Exactly, and those those doves will land in those types of environments if there's enough openness, you know, bare ground. Yeah. Um, the veggies, in fact, you can find them in there midday when it's pretty hot because there'll be a canopy. We've talked about this yep. umpteen times with ragweed and plants like that, that a, a bird can get underneath it and be shaded but still be standing on bare ground. So it provides an opportunity for them to be able to pick around and, get some seeds last time september 1st you know it's 98 degrees um so they can stay shaded uh, and but they can still be able to move around and, and pick seeds so yep no i think there's a great opportunity with old field management you mentioned the disking you know if you really wanted to cheat towards doves you go out and you you do some disking mid to late august mm-hmm. and if you, you make some strips through some of these um, old fields uh, and you could really enhance that that'll expose some seeds have a little more feeding well activity and open it up a little bit if you're doing your let's just say fire lines too around yep. some of these fields in the fall in august you could put your disc in fire line then a lot of guys like to plant wheat so if you're drilling in your wheat or broadcasting or broadcasting and dragging on that um that fits into legal methods correct that is correct. Yep, just time it right, and yep, it's completely legal. If it's a, that is a standard farming practice to broadcast wheat. Um, so you bet. Yeah, there's so. a lot of ways to make this thing work. If you're a whitetail hunter, again, trying to scratch out a few birds. And the other thing I think of um, that goes hand in hand with all this is just some fallow spring food pots that, that you that you didn't get to in in, in yep. the um uh in the springtime you just said i was too busy conditions weren't right i didn't get it in that weekend so i'm going to let that thing go fallow 
We've got ragweed. We've got uh, Oldfield asters. We've got mare's tail. All these different things coming up that will provide benefit for, for deer, wildlife, turkey poults, um, throughout the summer, great bugging opportunities. And then, you know, you can go in and lightly lightly disc those or um, or just kind of prep them for your fall planting. And there you go. You can scratch out some doves on those. There's a lot of ways to make this thing work without devoting that, you said, $100 an acre, you know, spraying fields multiple times for your sunflowers and adding the, um, oh gosh, the, the power line to, to supplement, put decoys and stuff on. Like, you know, you think of a food plot that you've edged feather, there's probably some dead trees or should be some dead trees around there. Um, hey, now we've got that same situation right there with whitetail management. Yep. And let me, I'll give you a couple examples of, you, you mentioned the fallow fields and I've actually lived this and, and had it happen and worked out great. So whether you went in and disc those up, let's say, let's say here is an example that I, I had a few years ago, um, field that was pretty wet. Um, so it stayed foul, didn't get planted, supposed to be a food plot. And it came out the barnyard grass, which mm. is just wild, wild millet, um, great duck food. And I mean, it was loaded and <clears throat> just solid barnyard grass. Scalp that plot off, just mowed it, you know, right down to the ground. You could disc it in any way, but let it mature. Seeds had made. Um, another thing, person could have the neighbor hay it if they wanted or whatever, you know, hey, let's get some value out of this because it was going to be planted for the fall. Mm -hmm. And we shot limits out of that field for several days in a row. It was great. Mm. Um, another another time that happened was a crabgrass foxtail field. I hunted that just last year, actually. And the guy just went in and hated it. He was going to plant it. Uh, same deal, just something happened and didn't get planted. Hey, I'll just plant it this fall. And so he just hayed the crabgrass and foxtail off of it a week before season, and so it was cut down to, you know, a half inch tall, and all those seeds shattered out on the ground, and we whacked them. I mean, there was, hell, there was 10 of us hunting that field, and everybody was shooting birds. So mm. some really cheap alternatives. I mean, that's not costing you anything, just taking advantage of what Mother Nature is providing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, let me ask you this. What are your, like, five favorite native species that you would like to see if you're if you're trying to you know and we i don't know how many clients we run into in a year mm -hmm. that say you know where would be a good place to have a dove hunt or yeah. a dove field? oh yeah and often very and often. um it kind of is well yeah here's where they're going to do that but like is there anything else i can really do to promote doves or promote dove hunting here and it's like well there's a lot of things but if that was your goal you were Hey, I'm, I'm going to plant this two acres of sunflowers, um, and then everything else. I'm just trying to encourage for doves. So if I'm doing that, what are the f like five main species that I would try to promote on my farm? Food species, native food species that I would want around here are going to be um, ragweed, top of the list. Um, I want that foxtail, which so the first two are easy. You almost can't not have them if you're doing any mm -hmm. kind of disturbance. 
Um, foxtail can get too thick on you at ground level, but it'll produce a ton of seeds. So if you manage it right, it can be good for doves. Um, from personal experience, um, <laughs> this one's not going to happen for most people more out West, but, uh, wild marijuana is fantastic dove food. That's, uh, we just don't see crazy. that a lot around here. Ditch weed. Don't they yep. call that ditch yep. weed? Yeah. Ditch weed. Yep. Yeah, Kansas um, is low to Nebraska. Yep, yep. Have yep. some great hunts over that kind of stuff. Uh, after that, what would Croton? I say? Would Croton yeah. rank, rank very high for you? Yeah, that would be okay. Yeah. Um, yep, that I, would work. I've never hunted over it, but I can see where that would Well, yep, they would I just remember that. as a... In that same scenario, when I told you we used hunt over Grace Pasture, it was it was a lot of common ragweed and croton. That was pretty much yep. dominating that area. Yep. I tell you another, and this is not a native one, but a, a cheaper version. If a person wanted to throw something out there and not do the you know hundred some dollar an acre sunflower effort, is uh, Korean Lespedeza. And mm. if you you mow that at the right time, or better yet, you have the neighbor hay it. That can be fantastic this time of year. And did as well. you list barnyard grass on this one? Or uh, yeah, barnyard. Well, I mentioned hunting it. And of course, that takes a, a wetter situation, but yeah. barnyard grass produces a ton of seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, you know, if you were in a wetter, that would be a great opportunity for somebody that's kind of got a wet field and half the time they can't food plot it, and it's always a pain in the rear. Well, if you disturb it at the right time, and it's wet a lot of times you get barnyard grass in it well utilize it to your advantage you know and yeah make it a make it be a native dove field hmm. yeah yep i think Very there's cool. some neat opportunities out there yeah um th- this is gonna drop oh, i'm gonna jump to something real quick before i forget about it but this is gonna drop a, a week before dove season around most of the country yeah. um this I, drops I the 25th so. of august two yeah, days yeah, yeah. so about a week out, we, you know, we talked about the intense public hunting deal, and now we're talking about kind of lower key, um, little, little more relaxed style hunting. Um, and I mentioned the mojo deal on, and you can use that on bigger fields or, or ponds or whatever. But, and that's been a pet peeve of mine the last few years. This, if you go to public land, anybody listening to this, if you're going to public land opening day and you're going to hunt around a field with a hundred other people. And there's 3,000 doves coming in there. You don't need a mojo. Don't bring the mojo. It makes the birds drop real low on the deck. Uh And all of a sudden, people are shooting right across the field at somebody else's forehead. And it causes some angst amongst other hunters. Certainly, certainly. Save those mojo decoys for later in the season on public land when there's not anyone around. Or save them for your private hunts. Yeah, I think I think it you know it comes certainly to the, to the safety aspect, and and I think that you know most fields when managed appropriately are, are right there on public land. Like when when season comes in, those fields are prepped and they're ready, and they have the doves already. And when you've got that many people around them, it keeps birds up, it keeps them moving. So you're gonna have a good shoot, regardless. And and then from the safety aspect, it makes sense. Just keep them yeah. at home. Yeah, yeah. Don't need the extra bells and whistles for those kind of hunts, but they are. I do like the and not just Mojo brand, whatever brand you want to use. Those those motion wing decoys are, are mm-hmm. great, and I've used them in situations where, 
you know they're just we couldn't cover enough ground the field's too big or guys out west you know just wheat stubble this time of year you can have some great hunts or find a pond that's in the corner of a wheat stubble field you know if you're in western kansas western nebraska you have great hunts you can kill a lot of doves over those kind of situations so it doesn't doesn't take a lot a guy just needs to get out you can cruise around drive some gravel roads this time of year and, and you know especially in the evening find some place that they're hey there's a power line it's got 50 doves sitting on it they got to be feeding around here somewhere and, and watering somewhere and it's pretty easy to, to find some spots sometimes just doing that yeah and i think it's also just one of those things of it's kind of like the the kickoff the precursor i think for a lot of people going into the fall and there's a lot of tradition and heritage built around opening day of dove season and um i like that aspect of it. it's a very social gathering a lot of people just bring all the buddies and cook out and have fun and um i, I like that aspect of dove hunting I haven't been in years, but that's one of the biggest things that I remember of it was all the cousins, uncles, everyone got together and you just picked your spot and shot a box and hopefully filled a limit. Most times not though. <laughs> yeah, it's just that, that start of fall, right? I mm-hmm. mean, everybody can feel it in the air. Even when it's 98 degrees and you're dove hunting, you still know, hey, it's falls here game on and there's next thing we know it's a madcap rush for bow hunting and rifle hunting and bird hunting you name it it just all seems to pile on after that speaking of which are you able to divulge what some of your trip might look like for you and frank this year and you guys typically try and go out west yeah so we've got an exciting hunt we're gonna try to we've got a connection a guy in Utah, a wild chucker hunting. Oh. So, yeah, I we might not survive. This guy runs 10 miles up in the mountains. Um, he said three days maximum was all Frank and I could handle. We would probably be hospitalized if he tried to hunt us any more than that. Because so. <laughs> those hills <laughs> Flat, are steep. Flatlanders going to Utah. So looking forward to that. Um yeah, and we usually have, he goes on a family Kansas hunt. I go on a family Kansas hunt as well. Um, so awesome. we'll see. Uh, I don't know if COVID will affect. We've got another hunt that we sometimes do together in Kansas that I just looked up some regs the other day, and we may not be able to go participate in that one due to COVID at the moment. Can we just have a COVID season? Uh, just- it's ridiculous. There's going to be a lot of mad hunters this fall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I really messed up some spring schedules, but I'll be. Uh, it'll be okay for the gonna... turkeys, but right. Yeah. But when it comes to their deer hunts, ain't no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I'll, I'll bow hunt, of course, my own farm in southeast Kansas. South yeah. Too, so. Yeah. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I'm ready for fall to get here. Oh, I'm ready for the little bit cooler temperatures and some moisture. <laughs> Oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about yeah, it. Awesome, Kyle. Well, thanks again. Hopefully, you guys are listening. All man, so many people are asking us about doves that it's just oh, yeah. like Bunch. we have to do these podcasts because so many people. It's a huge thing. If you're oh, yeah. somewhere in Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and you're like, "Why are we talking about doves this week?" It's because it's a very big deal in parts of the in parts of the country. Um, it's worth the experience. So if you haven't done it, either find someone who can take you and do it, or make the make the trip. Yep. Kyle, thanks again. 
You bet. Mm, enjoyed it. We'll talk to you later. Yeah. Later.